Listener Production. Hi, I'm Adam Schwab. In this new episode of From Zero, we're stripping things back and launching a brand new format, which we call Startup Insider. I'll be talking to well-known founders and getting their unique insights and perspective by breaking down a hot topic in the world of startups. This week, I sat down with superstar Adi Schiffman, executive chairman of sports tech company Catapult, and we unpacked the controversial buy now, pay later sector. Buy now, pay later grew by becoming a tech version of the old lay-by model. The first buy now, pay later businesses were Klarna, which was founded in Sweden in 2005, and Affirm, which was founded by PayPal alum Max Levkin in 2012. The model hit Australia in 2013 when Zip Payments was founded. And a year later, a little business called Afterpay was founded by a guy called Nick Molnar. Uh, welcome, dear. Uh, how were buy now, pay later businesses able to grow so quickly in such a short time, in, in less than a decade? I actually think buy now, I mean, this is going a bit against the trend of the narrative at the moment, but um, I actually think that buy now, pay later is a fantastic concept because it takes this idea of affiliate commissions and instead of doing a cashback type thing, which, you know, I had to go at cashback and back in back in the day, um, instead of just giving some cashback to the customer, they found that what customers really want is deferred payment plans. And so they used the cashback to fund that business model. I mean, who knew that's what customers want? I had no idea. Customers wanted four weeks to pay off their, their stuff. But you're right. It was the lay-by model, except you get the goods now instead of waiting till you pay them off. So you talked about, uh, and this is an area you know a lot about because I think you had a business, uh, I forget what the name was. I did. It was called uh, Start Here and Then Price Pal, a cashback right. business. Start, yeah. Uh, with, with Simon. So so what these business, and there's a few of these, but we'll, we'll digress here a bit um, from from BM, BMPL to, to what a what what a, a affiliate uh, marketing is, and when you talk about a little about that business, mm. and, and really Afterpay has built a lot of their their business reputation on on that sort of affiliate commission style business. So w- what was that business, and how has that sort of dovetailed into buy now pay later? Yeah, so uh, you know we came up with this idea that existed in the UK and the US at the time. Um, I mean, you know, it's worth touching on affiliates. I mean, affiliate commission is pretty straightforward. E-commerce stores predominantly they need lead generation and there's lots of different way to pay for leads and the easiest way and the safest way is to say when we sell something we'll just pay a percentage of that to whoever referred that sale to us and that's effectively the affiliate commission it can be one or two percent on big transactions it can be ten percent typically someone like a hotels.com might pay five or six percent and so the idea was well you can kind of take this a step further and say well you know Schwabby, if you want to um buy something and get a portion of it back, how about we just share the affiliate commission with you? So, you know, we keep 3%, we give you 3%, for example, and that's the cashback model effectively. And so there have been a business, I mean, the most well-known example, uh, uh, it's not a very good business model, by the way, like I sold it and took the cash because it's, it's, it's like, it's a credit card-esque model, this tiny clip of a transaction and you need tens of billions of dollars to make that model work. I was never any chance of getting that volume, yeah. but Cash Rewards was bought by ANZ for a hundred mil yeah. not long ago. I mean, that was a great deal for for the guys that sold Cash Rewards, if you I ask think, me. And that was that listed beforehand. It I think was. Cash Back out of Singapore? What's, what's Shop Back. Shop Back. Yeah. Shop back out of Singapore, which I think is, it was quite valuable, certainly at some point. Well, everything everything was once valuable. Yeah, <laughs> last year. But I think that they've done all right. And obviously, Little Birdie, is, which is Gabby and Hezzy yeah. from Catch of the Day, Another form of guess. I mean, no one's making money, is my guess, with any of them. There's no cash rewards, wasn't. And yeah. I don't think it ever 
could make money as a standalone business. I think that, you know, this idea of let's take the commission that we get from the e-commerce retailer and let's use it in a smarter way to build a business than just giving some of it back to the customer. That's what BNPL did. And it's, it's, they're much smarter than what I came up with. Is that what, certainly Afterpay and Nick and has been regularly Trump. So essentially how BNPL, just to to the listeners, uh, how BNPL works is you're a merchant, Luxury Escapes is a merchant, Sleeping Ducks a merchant. Uh, we can pay- Daily Blooms. Daily Blooms is a merchant. We can pay 1% to call it the credit card, the banks mm-hmm. who, who might, say you buy on credit card, you might pay 1%. PayPal, about the same. Amex is a bit more because mm-hmm. it's more premium. Uh, or you can do something called buy now, pay later, which could be Zip, could be Afterpay. And they charge between probably, well, 1% if you're JB Hi-Fi and- 7% if you're a fast fashion retailer with big margins. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a big spread, but mm-hmm. if you're, uh, call it a normal business like Hotels.com, use an example, they're probably paying about 3 to 4%, mm-hmm. I suspect. So they're paying 4% for Afterpay and Zip, and they're paying, oh, Zip's a bit lower, 4% for Afterpay, 1% for a credit card. Mm-hmm. So it's a 3% gap. So the customer, by the way, doesn't see any of this. This is paid by It's the better for business. the customer because, you know, you can't charge this BNPL fee onto the customer, yeah, but you can exactly. charge the credit card fee yeah. to the customer. So the customer loves it. Yeah. So customers love it. So, but but as a merchant, you're going, well, hold on. I'm, let's say look at a hotels.com. Yeah. It has a margin of probably 6%, 7% on a contribution basis. If they're giving 3 to 4% to Afterpay, that's, that's a big chunk of of, yeah. of their commission, so of their earnings. So as, as you said, that's where the affiliate model comes in. That's what, what Nick Molnar, who was one of the co-founders of Afterpay, has regularly trumpeted and that we'll give you customers. We'll yes. give you we'll yes. give you merchant facility and we'll give you customers you wouldn't otherwise have. And we'll increase the propensity of an existing browser to buy when they have BNPL as an option for purchasing. That's the other pitch that they have. Yeah, and that's one that's always troubled me a bit. And this was Nick's pitch to me back in 2016 when we were running Brands Exclusive and, and other and the home. And and Nick is an incredibly good salesperson. Nick Melnar is an incredibly good salesperson. He's, he's made a billion dollars by being probably one of the best sales guys in, in the country. And his pitch was, well, we've got data that we create a bigger, a bigger AOV, bigger basket size. And, I, and there's no doubt that's true. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it from a, call it a long-term perspective, if somebody spends $300 on on at brands exclusive when they would have otherwise spent a hundred because they've got this mm-hmm. buy now pay later thing Le- leaving aside whether it's credit or not credit all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. if they've increased that basket, I mean it's it's credit we we, we can just say it's credit. we know it's credit but yeah. uh, that leaving aside the legal nuances yeah. of credit and the politician stuffing up so we what we saw was a bigger basket size but let's say Johnny from from uh, South Yarra pays three hundred bucks would have paid a hundred has this buy now pay later after pay thing pays three hundred mm-hmm. but Johnny hasn't earned any more money Johnny's got no more money in the bank Johnny yeah. has to pay the three hundred bucks back at some or he can't use after pay again so johnny's financial situation hasn't changed johnny's paid more transaction one but transaction two three four five six to a hundred usually johnny's paying less he hasn't earned any more as a result of buying yeah. this this jumper does the aov expansion argument only work in the short term and not in the long term it's a great question so i think i'm going to do their sales pitch <laughs> i think not inadvertently which would be the real benefit would be if you offered BNPL and your competitor didn't, and so the likelihood of you taking that sale would increase. Definitely everybody back in the day saw an increase in conversion when they added BNPL. And so that was true. I think, you know, this is one of the problems. Once everybody adds something, then all of the benefit diminishes and also, once there are 15 players in the market, they can't all claim to be bringing new customers to you because, you know, wh- one of the studies I saw, I think it was by Macquarie, showed that um, customers 
did definitely love BNPL and would increase their purchasing propensity where BNPL was offered, but their loyalty was purely through the mechanism and not to the brand. And so, mm. you know, I think that's one of the problems that's starting to rear its head now. Uh, listen, I think, um, I don't think this is going to be the long-term revolution in improving AOV because what you said is fundamentally right. It's just another form of uh, customers buying something they can't afford today. The the uh, the piece on new customers is a really interesting one. So we, LuxuryScapes, we use several buy now pay ladders. We actually built our own deposit functionality recently, which is working really well. But interesting, we as part of that because we're paying millions of dollars to BNPL in yeah. terms of court increased merchant fees and what we pay on credit cards. And the one interesting uh, and the 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 point the BNPL make is we're giving you lots of new customers. So I, I asked my guys, we'll pull pull some data. What percentage of buy now pay ladder are new customers? I said, oh, it's fifty seven percent over the last three months. I said, oh, that sounds okay. So what's our normal percentage of new customers? I said, it's about 51%. Yeah. So the Delta increment is at best 6%. Maybe. Or, or that could be in the margin of error. Yeah, in the margin of error. So there's a real question on, are you, to your point, if yeah. everybody has BNPL now, which pretty much everyone does, is there any, is it just a matter of switching? It's been, every merchant's been disaggregated in some way. Yeah. Uh, so that leads us to the next but point. Let me tell you something. Like, I don't know if this happened to you. I'm not going to say the brand, but things were so crazy that one of the brands literally paid us, I can't remember the number, six figures of cash mm. up front to add them to our BNPL offering, not exclusive, to add them to our BNPL offering and put their logo on the checkout page. With And I think there was six months of no charge as well as the upfront payment. So, I mean, obviously we took it, yeah. but I mean, that gives you an idea of what was going on in this industry. Well, that leads, and, that, and this is what we've, we've heard in the US especially, I'm not sure that was probably in Australian. That was in business, Australia, yeah, But yeah. What, we've heard, what I've heard in the US from insiders is certainly after paying a firm and Klarna, uh, I'm not sure about Zip who's got a quad paid business over there, but certainly after paying a firm, we're going head to head like crazy, offering far greater, offering sort of under 1% merchant fee or, or, or close to it, uh, highly uneconomic, which maybe works if you've got a really long lifetime value of customer, but doesn't if you've got a short-term churn or, or people taking it off. And that and your point's a really good one. If you look at how Buy Now Play has gone recently, so we had, if you look back, if we did this interview, if we did this chat last year, Buy Now Play is on top of the world. So after pay- Except we would still be having this conversation and everyone would just think that we're idiots. Probably. And yeah. they possibly still do. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but if, you, if you go back to a year ago, Buy Now Play Afterpay was had just been, when I say acquired, had been offered $39 billion in script from Square. Rolled into Square, we Rolled into Square. It. So as, as it turned out, I think at the time of the acquisition, it was about $17 billion. So that Square's yeah. price dropped off a lot. Afterpay's also dropped. They dropped in tandem. Uh, some brokers now value Afterpay at zero as part mm. of Square. Some give it more value. Which I think is way too harsh, by the way. <laughs> I think that's way too harsh. Uh, I think it's probably not far off, but um, it depends how much you value the affiliate business at. Um, you've got Klarna that's dropped from, a, I think it was a $45 billion valuation, be it from SoftBank, which mm. is famous for, for getting it wrong. Uh, I think it did a recent raise, or it's, it's finalizing a raise. It tried to raise at 30, tried to raise at 15. It got, it's got it away, we think, at 6.5. Yeah. Uh, and that's with uh, Sequoia, who's an existing investor, who knows what the terms are? Sequoia's probably driving that pretty hard. It's, it's, it's not common stock. Let's just say yeah. that. <laughs> so, so I think what you're saying is probably a highly a, a highly favourable preference. Protected, share. protected yeah. investment. So 6.5 is probably it's probably close to zero. Yeah. That 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 round. Uh, a firm's fallen from 45 billion to 8 billion. I think it dropped lower. It's come back up. Uh, and Zip has dropped by about 90. Yeah. percent uh, And then you got the small crappy ones that are, I won't even mention the name. That basically gone to zero. So you've got the big ones dropping from. Tens of tens of billions to to single digit billions, still valuable businesses. Mm. How much is that? Is it is that an overreaction, or do you think that's a, a 
genuine reaction to all the issues you talked about, that the questions mm. on the economics, the question on the, on the real value it's providing to customers and merchants especially. So uh, these are my two thoughts on this. The first is, I think these are fundamentally smart businesses. The reason is just the economics. So the, a store sells something for X, BNPL lends X, they keep 4% of X, let's call it. It's paid back in four weeks. That's approaching 50% interest rates on that money. If you cannot make money on that kind of spread, like you're a moron, okay? Like whatever your operating expenses are, if you build a scale business with those kind of economics, that should be a cash machine. And I think it can be. But the second thing is this, you can't blame people for responding to incentives. And what the market said to all of these BNPLs is, the faster you grow your top line, the more we're going to value you. And these guys, because um, I think they were all guys, right? They all um, yeah. they all managed to sell down shares into this insanity. Yeah. And so you can't blame them for forgetting about generating any free cash because the market was saying, we will make you incredibly rich provided you just focus on top-line growth. And so what I think now is the market has lost interest in top-line growth. Everybody, you know, all of these same investors that yelled for top-line growth are now saying, why are you doing so much top-line growth? <laughs> Focus on the bottom line. And I think yep. what you're seeing now is a pivot of business models to stop losing money and starting to take advantage of the fundamentally strong economics that can exist in businesses like this. That's a really good point. And certainly you look at certainly Nick and Ant from, from Afterpay are two of the smartest guys. And I'm a big fan room. of Larry at Zip as and well. Larry He's well. a great, He's a great guy, guy and smart. Uh, so all these guys, three guys, and Larry sold, I think, about $30 million down, but but – um, he's Nick, got a partner there, a co-founder there as well. Who, Pete, who unfortunately I don't think, didn't think, I don't think sold down. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip Crutchfield was chairman, sold down. I think yeah. at the peak, so probably one of the greatest trades you'll ever see. Never bet against a QC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but if you look at um, Anthony Nick, they they read this. They read the room perfectly. Mm-hmm. They they sold to Square. Right. At literally, the, the only thing that I think they got held up by a Spanish regulatory body. I could have sold it for for effectively getting two billion each. But you they, say sold to Square, but I would say they realized that betting their entire net worth on this game was a dumb decision. So <laughs> they rolled into Square to diversify their bet. And but the beauty of what they did is they had, as far as I know, had no covenants or restrictions. They can, day one of that transaction being consummated, which I think it was about February. Yeah. They could have sold 100% of their shares. And I don't think we'd ever know because they didn't have to, neither of them had to disclose. Uh, so the US has slightly different rules on disclosure. They should Australia. have sold 100% of their shares. And I suspect they're pretty I suspect that these guys are pretty smart and they probably did, if not a big chunk of it. So that, yeah. they could very well be billionaires even if the value of Afterpay is zero. So uh, all credit to them, two of the mm-hmm. smartest guys Agreed. you'll ever meet and two of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. You picked this whole... Um, this whole trend, right? I mean, you were in BNPL way before any of these guys came out, correct? Well, we had, so it's part, we, we had a business that had a number of businesses. So we had a, a, a e-commerce business that had travel businesses, obviously Luxury Escape still this day exists, and other businesses that we, we sold to various different people. And we had a guy called called, called Josh Borenstein who, who did our M&A, and mm-hmm. he was a, a superstar M&A guy. I used to work at Insight Investment, uh, mm-hmm. which was a um, VC firm. Uh, and Josh saw, and Josh was friends with Larry, good friends with Larry. And Josh saw the buy now, buy now, pay later phenomenon in the very, this is 2015, maybe 2016. And, and Josh found a, a business called Touch Payments, founded by an ex-Rocket guy. Mm-hmm. And he was the third of the three. So it was, there was uh, Afterpay with Nick, there was Zip with Larry, and there was this, this guy. Yeah. Uh, and we bet on this guy. Yeah. Uh, and he tried hard. The issue we had, and we, we found this out really early, this is in 2016, is that the unit economics just didn't work. So what would happen is, 
with charge three, you talked about the three, four percent and that great model at churning three, four percent four times a year, which or six times a year, which makes sense. The problem was the losses that the business we invested had were, were five or six percent. So we were right. lending at four percent and and that Call it paying three percent, lending it four. You mean losses like people were defaulting? Defaulting. The default yeah. rates were high because it's unsecured, right? Fully unsecured. Uh, so we were seeing default rates were higher than the margin we're making. So it just yeah. didn't. It just never worked. So we we had a con note. We redeemed the con note and didn't have it. Didn't have a loss. Uh, and um, the business I think shut down. But what we saw many years ago was it just didn't work. It didn't yeah. make sense. And I spoke to John Hempton, who's probably the best investor, mm-hmm. one of the best investors in the country. About two years ago, about this, neither of us could understand how. Afterpay was worth 10, 20, 30 billion mm-hmm. or Zip was worth 10 billion. Didn't make sense. Didn't make sense for me as someone who invested in this space. Leaving aside the fact that we had record low interest rates. So this was, the, if, it, if the business was ever going to make sense, it was then because yep. interest rates and funding costs were always going to go up. But before that time, we had we had these businesses that, that seemed to be able to solve this fraud, call it not fraud, call it just just uh, lack of, of um, security. Creditor risk. Creditor risk issue it, yeah. that, that we couldn't see. And John, John Hampton made this great analogy to me uh, I'm sure, sure John won't mind me repeating it because he picked this yet again. John yeah. seems to pick every one of these. And, and John said, essentially what all these buy now, pay ladders are, they're effectively like an unsecured creditor of last resort, like a pawn shop in yeah. the US. Yeah. And if you go to the US, and it gave me this great analogy about jewelry stores in the US, essentially sort of money lenders. So if, if you go into a jewelry store, and this is what John told me, because I don't, I don't know, but John goes, every jewelry store has a you almost always a lady, a mum, a 50-year-old mum, who's effectively the credit analyst. So she'll look into the eye of the fiancé. <laughs> so the husband's, the guy's pr- proposing to his wife or partner or wife or husband or whatever it yeah. is. And it, you, let's just use the example of husband finding to wife because yeah. this is the most relevant case in this case. So that 50-year-old lady would look into the husband's eyes and, and, and look at look at the couple and go, Are these couple, is this couple going to stay together? Mm. If the couple's going to stay together, this person's probably a good Doesn't credit risk because yeah. if, the, if the guy's taking the, guy, the, the, the wife's engagement ring... Marriage isn't going to last too long. So yeah. the wife's looking going, is this going to, are these guys going to stay together? Good credit risk. But what, they, what she's essentially doing is making a really detailed credit assessment based on first-party interactions. And they're lending one, two, five, whatever thousand dollars. It's like the human actuarial table, right? The exactly. human face actuarial table. And you've got someone who's got years of experience and does this for a job. Yeah. Afterpay worked like that, but didn't even look at you. All you yeah. have to do is type in a couple of things, didn't check bank accounts, didn't check anything. So... Sure, it's no surprise that there's going to be a pretty high default rate on these, as you say, unsecured so how you loans. Align that? How do you align that with the credit card industry? So you've got Afterpay making better margins than the credit card industry. Like people just don't realise it, but they are. And their spreads are better than the credit card industry. And that industry man- can manage its default rate and its unsecured lending. And there's various mechanisms it uses to manage it. And so you would think that if you applied the same methodology as you do with credit cards to Afterpay, it would work unless your argument is, yeah, credit cards just would say no to every single person that has gone to Afterpay. I think it's a really good point. I think that's, I think there's my view on that would be credit cards have a slightly higher risk, uh, slightly lower risk tolerance. So if you think of people mm-hmm. have credit cards, you got to go to the applic- whole well, application you have to apply process. Um, you got to have income or you yes. got to say you've got to have income. I th- I'm sure if you get, you get one once and you don't pay back, you, there, there is a, you get, you get restricted. So I think there is, I think it's hard to get credit card. If you look at who are the, the demos of credit cards, mm. certainly older and wealthier than buy now, pay later, which tends to be younger, millennial or, or younger. Absolutely. Less income. So I think there is a difference in profile. But if you look at Afterpay's, don't think Afterpay's ever made money. It's come close a couple of times. Yeah. And certainly it's losses have increased. And one thing that always concerns me for any business, and this is, remember I wrote about ABC Learning Centers 15 years ago. The oh, thing wow. that concerned me about ABC, even when it was worth a billion dollars, everybody loved it, was 
as it got bigger, its losses widened. And I hate a business that makes that loses more money as it gets bigger because something you should get scale benefits in any business. As Agreed. you grow, you, you just split your, split your costs over more or more customers. Afterpay had the opposite, and so did all the buy now pay later. As they got bigger, they lost more money, and that really concerned me. And it feels like the. I think Afterpay found its Patsy and Jack Dorsey is probably one of the worst CEOs who's ever lived. Twitter was a disaster <laughs> on the Jack Dorsey. He went to he went to Square, which looked like a great business. Then he spent twenty billion dollars on Afterpay, which is arguably worth nothing. So, yeah, and a lot of Square's business was crypto related. Absolutely, and and that's that's all clearly fallen away. A market values a crypto transaction differently from its, from its cash app, essentially Venmo. So if you look at the value of Venmo; it's a few billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And Square was worth, I think, at one stage, two hundred and fifty billion uh, for having what was a part of PayPal, mm. essentially. So, um, what what are your thoughts on where does where does buy now pay later go from here? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think uh, I happen to have some um, some kind of insight into the credit card industry. I worked with those banks many years ago for quite a while. You know, credit cards is a funny business. Like, there's this Goldilocks zone of credit cards when you have a credit card customer. If they can just pay back the entire amount every month, that's not a great customer because you just make your fee on them and maybe some merchant exchange, you know, fees. And if they default, that's a catastrophe. And so what you need is a customer that is prepared to pay the minimum and maybe a bit more, but roll. And so they're just accruing more and more interest, but they'll keep paying it for whatever reason. And so it's not not the most beautiful industry to be involved in. Maybe let's characterize it like that. And so I think Afterpay, we're talking about Afterpay, BNPL in general, I think the service is valuable. I think there are particular benefits over a credit card, but unless they can go and eat the credit, those Goldilocks zone credit card customers, then they'll struggle. Yeah. But if they can find that customer and find a value proposition, then they should be vastly more profitable in credit card businesses if they can find that zone. But they just, you know, they need to do what they're doing now, which is, you know, we both know the people involved here are smart people. They were going on this tear expansion, burning cash, because that's what the market was paying them to do. Yeah, The market's not paying them, so they're doing all of the smart things now. They're pulling back their businesses, focusing on their core geographies, you know, cutting this insane marketing spend. I, remember, I bought something from the good guys, and they said, if you pay with PayPal, we'll give you like a $100 credit. And if you pay with paying for by PayPal, yeah. we'll give you like, what, $150 <laughs> credit or whatever. And it's like, really? Like, that's insanity. And so, of yeah. course, I did it, yeah. right? But it's, So I think those days are coming to an end, and I think if they can find customers in the Goldilocks zone and entice them, these will be good, really good businesses, and if not, they'll be dead businesses. Yeah, I guess is there one more, and I think that's a, I totally agree, is there one more tricky issue for them is we've had a world of interest rates of being historical lows. So interest rates haven't been this low really ever. Yeah. We've had te- a 10-year everything bubble where, uh, which seems to have, Inflation effectively crystallised in assets, not consumer prices. We've seen the, that reverse in the last six months. Eventually, I think the COVID spending pushed that over the edge. But regardless of that, we've seen funding costs have increased and probably will keep increasing and potentially normalising. You can very much argue that, that interest rates should be 8 or 9% based on inflation levels. In a world of 8% interest rates, do these business models work? BNPL is revolving their money at 50% per annum. I just keep coming back to that. Like That's with zero defaults. Obviously, there's going to be defaults if you are a credit business and your customers are effectively paying for your pool of money at 50% per annum and you can't figure out how to make money, there was never a business there to begin with. Like you just, you can turn over the whole management. You'll find management that can make money out of that that rate if there's a business there. So I think that's what it comes down to. Can they find a customer that, and, and so, you know, the other challenge though, the flip side is we're assuming that these rates remain constant. Yeah. 
my guess is that the power will start shifting back towards the retailer. And so 4% might turn into 2% or 1%. Mm. And then you become a credit card margin business. That's a whole separate story. Can there be a business there? I hope there can be a business. These are one of those things where I think a couple of them will end up having been very cheap right now. It's just very hard to pick yeah. like which one is not going to be that one. It's yeah. going to die, right? I yeah. just, I'm too risk averse to like, <laughs> the going to zero. Yeah. I tend to agree. I think there's probably not much value as, as a whole, but time will tell. Thank you, Idea, for joining us. It's fantastic to have you on it, and hopefully we can do it again. Absolutely. This is our first episode of Startup Insider. We'll see you soon. Our producer is Ed Gooden. Our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, search From Zero Podcast with me, Adam Schwab. <laughs>